Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 354 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked with Flo Nicholas of the DEI Directive as part of our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech series. We highly recommend that episode if you haven't already listened to it. Lots of great insights. In this episode, we have another very special guest in our Fresh Voices series. In Fresh Voices, we want to showcase different and compelling perspectives on legal tech and much more. We have another fabulous guest. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we are thrilled to continue our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech interview series with Catherine Bamford, who is CEO and founder of BAM Legal, a legal tech advisor, a legal engineer and document automation expert, and a strong voice on legal technology on LinkedIn and elsewhere on the socials. We want our Fresh Voices series to not only introduce you to terrific leaders in the legal tech space, but also provide you with their unique perspective on the things you need to be paying attention to. As usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so pleased to welcome Catherine Bamford to our Fresh Voices series. Catherine, welcome to the Kennedy Ma Report. Great to be here. Thank you. Before we get started, can you tell our audience a little more about yourself, what your role is at BAM Legal, what our audience should know, what you do? What do you think we ought to know? Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. So BAM Legal, been running for about 10 years now, and we ultimately help law firms, in-house legal teams, new law businesses to automate the delivery of their legal services. Personally, I specialize in legal document automation. So that's automating drafting of any legal documents, often contracts and agreements, quite often reports, uh, suites of litigation documents, court documents. More recently, in recent years, been looking around automating the negotiation process and playbooks, doing a lot with those. And then right through the entire kind of life cycle of, of transactions and litigation matters to, um, you know, kind of e-signatures, storage, and then the kind of data extraction and being able to find what's in your contracts quickly after the event, which is very helpful for our in-house clients. Great. Catherine, uh, sometimes I get frustrated with how difficult it is to explain technology, both old and new, and, and its benefits to those in the legal profession. Would you talk about your own approach to communicating with lawyers and others in the legal profession about technology? I think when you work with lawyers, you have to respect how much work they've put in to get to where they are. And I think in the legal tech industry, there is a propensity to say, oh, they just don't get it. And why aren't they using these tools? It's so obvious, you know, they should be, they should be using them. Why aren't they jumping on board? I think if you approach it with respect of their expertise and rather than telling people what to do, have a lot more conversations around, you know, some of my favorite workshops to run are, what did you do last week that you felt was a waste of your time? Where do you wish you could add value to your clients? What sort of information do you wish you had at your fingertips ready to give to your clients? How would you like to differentiate yourselves from your competitors? 
Do you know what your competitors are doing? Do you want to talk about some examples and use cases? You know, a bit of competition, friendly competition always helps. I think when I first started, my approach was very much to build and show stuff. So rather than speaking about things hypothetically, I'd mock up a, an MVP and go, would this be useful? Would this be helpful? And when people have it in front of them, it's much easier for people to understand concepts when they can actually see how something works rather than you trying to explain it. And then I think once you have a few of those projects um, that have gone well, it's then a lot easier because you've got the credibility and you can start to get statistics, return on investment and say, you know, you realize your banking team by using this. And even within law firms that have like lots of different departments, you can say you realize this department is now saving this many hours or has won this new client because they're able to offer this. Would that be of interest to you? So I think, yeah, it's definitely changed over the years. Now I've got more examples to say to people, but definitely use cases, demonstrations, but always remembering to respect the lawyers and their expertise rather than there's a lot of kind of lawyer bashing nowadays of, you know, kind of as if lawyers don't want to improve. And I think they do. You just have to like help them to get there. And um, lawyers are problem solvers. So once they get involved and you involve them in the design process of thinking up these new products and technologies and how they can help, they actually really enjoy that process. And, and you know, often you will leave like the workshops, for example, that I talk about, you know, feeling quite uplifted. It's been a good day at work, if you like. So, um, yeah, they would be my, my kind of tips of how to communicate and bring them on board. We like to talk a lot about technological competence for lawyers on the podcast. We tend to be grumpy about it. <laughs> Not often the case or as often as it should be. So kind of when you, what you're seeing with the lawyers in the workshops, in the groups that you're doing, what is your current take on the state of lawyer competence of technology? Lawyer competence of technology generally is good um, compared to the average man on the street, the average um, person on the street, because we all use technology in our everyday lives for a lot that we do. But in terms of legal tech and how it can help, I think there's unfortunately just not enough within the law firms training and education around what's available and how it can help. And even basic tools, like before we even get into the automation and the legal tech kind of tools, Word and Excel, that lawyers spend so much, I mean, Word in particular, so much time you know, working within Word every single day. Nowadays, Teams as well, Microsoft 365, the whole suite. There's so many tools they could be using that the, you know, they'll have training on new legislation that comes out to make sure that they, you know, are still the experts in the area that they are to advise their clients. But, you know, I have regularly have partners that still can't convert a Word document to a PDF you know, and are asking someone to do that for them. So I think um, competency with basic tools um, could definitely be improved. But I don't think they're as scared of technology as they used to be. I think definitely there is um, a lot more interest and it's just education and explaining is needed. Um, so I think the leadership needs to look at training that lawyers are given regularly and, and put more of an emphasis on technology. You know, Catherine, your insights uh, to me on, on legal tech have, have always been great. And I love the international perspective that you bring. But you've recently been talking about document automation and, and I think revealing some profound truths, if I can describe them that way, about what it really takes to make document automation work well. And I think that involves much more effort than most lawyers expect 
even though the payoff is so worth it, would you talk about some of your current thinking on on document automation and document assembly? Yeah, I was I was asked to give a speech on kind of legal document automation and what Tom just mentioned about document automation is such a an easy win, if you like, and all law firms should be using it and all lawyers should be using it, but it's still not widespread and it's not the day-to-day way that lawyers prepare legal documents and why not? So I was going around it and I was thinking, well, I'll do kind of my standard, you know, pitfalls to avoid or, you know, things that can go wrong and, and things on, you know, make sure you've got senior level sponsorship, make sure you choose the right tools, make sure you budget for resource, etc. And I just, I, there was something niggling at me and I thought, I'm not being honest here. And in previous years, because I've been so enthusiastic about document automation and the benefits it can bring to lawyers, I've spent a lot of time in my talks talking about all the benefits it can bring really to try and, and sell it and making it sound maybe easier than it was. And I thought, well, I'm doing a disservice there to people and I need to be honest. What lawyers do when they're drafting documents is not as simple as filling in a few square brackets. And I think that's how document automation has been sold. It's like, oh, it's easy. You just ask a few questions and that'll do it. The nuances and the logic that lawyers have to think through to know what type of clause to include, the links between clauses. So if you, you know, don't have a strong warranty about something, you maybe need to up the insurance or the liability level clauses. So the nuances and the logic, it's not simple to do. And the the automation, the technology itself has got so much better over the years and there's lots of great tools out there. But the initial stage of getting the subject matter expert, the lawyer or the knowledge lawyer, the PSL, whatever, whatever, whoever's giving the instructions to the person to do the automation, that bit is the hard bit. And often it's not until you get started that, you know, they think, oh, yeah, we'll just ask, is it A, B or C? And then they go, oh, no, actually, now thinking about it and looking at it, well, B has three other things. And if it's that one, then that affects that clause over there and that definition. And, you know, I've. We've been, I've been working on um, something recently. We've just rolled it out. And I think once we launched it, it had something like 16,000 different moving parts. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's the benefits to the lawyers now of being able to answer a questionnaire quickly. It's, it's sometimes upsetting when you put so much work into something and then it's so easy for them to answer and get a document out the other side. You know, and they're like, why did that take four or five months to build? You know, when it's that. But um the benefits are, you know, the consistency, the accuracy, the, the time savings are huge. But yeah, I think previously we've we've kind of undersold the the hard yards and the effort that goes into the initial thought process of working out the if then else to apply to to the legal document and, and what you're going to draft because of all those nuances, which is, you know, what the lawyers have worked hard to, to understand and do. Can I ask a follow-up about the technology? And I will use my company as an example. I'm not a practicing lawyer. Uh, the company that I work for is a, is a small consultancy. We do a lot of bespoke types of documents that are not really capable of being of having automation because they, they differ widely from client to client. But there are some areas that we could automate. However, Trying to justify the purchase of a tool for a group of only a a few lawyers 
is a little difficult for me. So is it worthwhile trying to consider automation capabilities in something like Microsoft 365 using Word? Or is it really that a tool is is necessary? How would you, what would be the deciding factors on when to buy a tool and when you can actually use something like Word? Yeah. So requirements for everyone are very, very different. So if you are doing a lot of volume work where it's all the same kind of thing, real estate deals, restructures, banking, financing, um, corporate deals, absolutely some of the tools out there to get, you know, those those chunky documents automated quickly. When you're doing more bespoke advice pieces, often if I was to say to you kind of, you know, it's probably more, I imagine, that you would like to capture that knowledge and be able to retrieve and use that knowledge again in future. So if one of those lawyers came to you and went, I've got this, it's a bit different from that deal you did, but you did something like that. Do you still have it? Because I could maybe cut and paste a few bits from it. So I would look more to a tool that allows you to almost capture, more like a clause base. A clause library, right. Yeah, okay. more like that kind of thing. So I think um, we did a lot of work we realized that we were seeing demos of all the different tools out there. So we did a lot of work to try and break down all of those different requirements and all of the different things that all of the different tools do. And every client we speak to has slightly different requirements. <laughs> and then you run them against what the tools do to get your optimal one. Um, there is now over 250 different document automation, legal document automation tools out there. And that's before you get to tools that are more generic that work for any industry. So choosing the right one is very, very difficult. But there's, because there's even nuances around, so with an in-house team that I would work for, they might want to um, automate the sales contract that their sales teams draft. And for that, they might have 3,000 members of their sales team, but only 10 people in their legal team. So for them, a per user license model is not the right model because they have to pay for every salesperson to have one. So even things like licensing model, as well as the kind of, is it, can you use a clause base? Does it automatically update um, cross-references? Is important to some types of lawyers, it's not to others. Um, can you do suites of documents? So litigators, they often have to prepare if they're doing injunctions, like eight documents at the same time, but a lot of those documents will have the same information in. Do they have e-signature? Do they comply with various different security requirements that your organization might have? Um, so everyone has these different requirements. Um, I've not yet had a conversation with someone where I've gone, actually, no, I don't think there's any form of automation you could do that would help. And even if it's just around, not just because it's really important, but how we all store our knowledge so that it can be reused so that you can grow as an organization and scale that consultancy as you bring in more junior consultants you don't want them coming to you every time and you having to to find and and re-give them the thing so automation can be used in knowledge management Yep, that is clearly our issue we need to solve. While we're talking about tools, um, we want to talk to you about our, one of our favorite subjects, which is collaboration. We've written a book about collaboration. We talk about it all the time. So we like to hear how our guests collaborate. What are some of your favorite ways to collaborate, whether it's with clients, with customers, with colleagues, whoever you happen to work with? What are some of the most effective ways you have found to collaborate? Um, so at Family Legal, we use internally, um, and we're small, really small, like a group of, like a small group of under 10 consultants. Um, I bring, I also don't have employees. So I subcontract experts dependent on the client, client use case and what they need. We use Notion for everything. Um, absolutely love Notion. We use it for everything from inquiry tracking, task management, 
So what you previously might have used like a Trello for and then gone somewhere else for something else and so, you know, for everything, um, interviews. So all those kind of requirements that we get from all the software providers, we just send them a page for them to fill in themselves. And that comes back. Visualizations, embedding, videos. Yeah, we use Notion for absolutely everything. It's really easy to share certain parts, have groups in one place. Um, you know, it's brought together the best of all the previous tools we used to use. So like Slack and all those kind of things, you know, it's like it's all in one place now. And obviously with my with my large organization clients, we use Teams. Um, I, I normally would go into their Teams and I'm really excited about some of the new things kind of coming out through Teams. Um, intelligent meetings is one that I heard around about recently and some of the things that are going on there. And a lot of the technologies, the newer technologies coming through, the ones that are doing well are ones that are going to sit within Teams so they don't have to go somewhere else to find it and log in and, and everything else on a browser. I think having having one place to do as much as possible is really is really great. And you have found a safe haven here with me and Dennis because we are both Notion, heavy oh, okay. Notion users for no. our own personal use. <laughs> and then I use Teams. We use Teams for our podcast, but I use it at work almost exclusively. All right. We've got a lot more to talk about with Catherine Bamford at BAM Legal. But for now, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back with Catherine Bamford at BAM Legal. We've found in the Fresh Voices series that we'd love to hear about our guests' career paths, and our audience does as well. Would you talk about your career path and what kinds of things you've done? Yeah, sure. So started off as a lawyer, um, commercial real estate, with kind of a national firm here in the UK. And I was about four years um, qualified when the recession hit. And I was really fortunate that I worked for a very forward thinking firm who were very, you know, kind of the, the management at the time were really interested in like reinvent law and organizations like that and, and reading all the kind of new legal kind of future legal books that were coming out. And they thought rather than making a lot of redundancies, like a lot of firms did, that they were going to double down on efficiencies and tools to make us more efficient. So one of the things that they brought in was document automation technology. And I was chosen to go on an internal secondment for my own team for three months to just focus on that. So I was taken off fee earning work to learn how to use the tech and to automate the documents that my team were using. I fell in love with it. I was always a bit of a kind of maths geek at school. I don't know really how I fell into law because I wasn't, you know, someone that liked to write essays or or anything like that. Um, so algebra is fun to me. So getting to apply and play with this tech, it was in the early days. There wasn't a lot of law firms doing a lot with it um, and very quickly did a lot of things. Started to use it uh, for things that hadn't been seen before. So due diligence, for example. So previously, document automation had been very much focused on preparing the first drafts of transactional documents. And I was speaking to a banking lawyer at the time. And because it was the recession, they were working for, or they'd got the opportunity to pitch to a large uh, investment company who were buying all of like the Irish bank's failing debt. And um they to pitch for it they needed to be able to do thousands of reviews of um, these real estate documents that the loans were secured against uh, in a very short time frame for a competitive price and the firm that were currently doing this work and it was millions and millions of pounds worth of work for the law firm was one of the magic circle firms so it was like we're never going to get it off them and we did we won one tranche of it and very quickly, we won another tranche and another tranche and another tranche. I then got asked to present at a knowledge management conference in London about, you know, our successes with the tools and what we'd been doing. 
And when I came off the stage, I was so nervous. It was my first public speaking event. Um, and when I came off the stage, there was heads of knowledge management from lots of the large law firms here in Europe who were saying, we've got that technology, but we've had it for five years and we've automated 40 documents. How have you done 400 in such a short space of time? And will you come and work for us? So I started to get phone calls saying, will you come work for us? And there was enough of those job offers that I thought there's a consultancy here. So I set up BAM Legal then um, and haven't looked back since. I started off very much helping law firms to, you know, choose their software, roll it out, scale it up, look at the resource model. And then through that, just other people, you meet other people in the legal tech ecosystem and people say, do you want to collaborate or are we building this product? How do you think this could apply to that? So got to dabble with lots of different things and meet some really intelligent people doing some really cool stuff. It's a lovely community, the legal tech community, because everyone's trying to change the status quo. People are really open to sharing and working together. So I've got to work on so many different things. Then got the opportunity to invest. So I now invest in some legal tech startups. Um, I invested in Wavelength, which was one of the first legal engineering companies that got bought by Simmons & Simmons a few years ago. Um, and my most recent investment is with something called Capacity App, which is using algorithms for work allocation within law firms to take away bias. So partners allocating work. And a lot of the focus around that is um, making the lawyer's progression more interesting. And something I'm interested in is how do we stop so many junior females? We have you know, I think it's about 60% in the UK of lawyers entering the market are female. But when you get, you know, they all leave about four or five years. And it's not when you look at it, it's not actually about having babies that everyone thinks, you know, a lot of it is about not getting the right kind of work. So that's something that I'm really interested in capacity. At. And yeah, just continuing to, uh, there's something new comes up every, every month or so new projects. Um, so I'm very much kind of don't like to the career path is, I don't know where it's going next. You know, I love what I'm doing. We're working with some great clients, but always trying to do new things and get involved with new projects where we can. Well, that's the good thing about technology. It's always, there's always something different. And I guess that sort of leads into our obligatory set of questions about artificial intelligence. As we're recording, lots of crazy news going on about uh, major uh, artificial intelligence companies. And I'm going to be very careful here not to tread on Dennis's question because it is related. So we're going to have two questions about this. So I'm really going to ask a more generalist question. AI and more specifically ChatGPT are the subject of so much hype these days. Uh, we, we've been called in the last couple of podcasts like marketing gas, like really is, is there, there, there. It's kind of drawing the oxygen out of the room for all the other legal technologies uh, that we're seeing. What do you see? What are the roles that you're seeing that artificial intelligence is playing in legal technology? And then I know that Dennis is going to ask more specifically about document automation. This is more general to legal technology. Yeah, I think the law firms that are experimenting and the in-house legal departments that are experimenting have been looking at a few different areas and experimenting in a few different areas of where perhaps Gen AI could help. And I think the one that's coming out as the kind of leading use case, if you like, is around extraction and summarising. I think especially in litigation, that the extraction is, is very, very powerful. You know, we've transactional, we've had NLP, we've had extraction tools, but it's God will have a lot of training, whereas this is really, you know, lightning speed, lightning quick, able to find stuff better than, than you know, people can find it and so much faster. So I think extraction and summarising is the where we'll see the most traction in the near future. I think 
for those organizations that have spent time or are going to spend time and should spend time on their playbooks, whether it's around contracts or or litigation, how they do things, what they accept, what they don't accept, what their clients will accept, what they don't accept. I think AI can definitely help with quickly focusing on what's different based on the playbook. So you feed the playbook in and that comes out. I don't think it's drafting from scratch. I don't think that's a good use case. I think um, why would you want your lawyers to prepare something differently every single time when what you do is risk mitigation and you want a consistent approach and to know what's in it and you don't want to waste time having to check it every time. And I don't actually think there's a lot of hype at the moment around chatbots and the surface. I, I don't know why, but I just don't see that, that that's the longevity of it. I don't see that what lawyers are going to do are going to be chatting in that way to something I think it's more the intelligent search will come in a different way. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I, I was going to reflect back on something you said about document automation. And I think people underestimate the value of the consistency that you get out of a document automation and that you have this document that you don't really have to proofread. You know what's going to be there. You can rely on it. And then you have room to be more creative. And I was talking with uh, one of our former Fresh Voices guests uh, and a colleague of mine now, Amani Smathers. And when they were working with AI in documents, it was the fact that it wanted, that it just would make small changes all the time really started to pose a difficulty. So I've been talking with uh, some of the early pioneers in document automation, like uh, uh, Mark Lauritsen, about the the interplay between uh, uh, generative AI and document automation and where their strengths and weaknesses are. And especially what's interesting to me is the potential for generative AI to be used as a helper or assistant when you're actually creating the document automation applications. And, and this may go to what, uh, what you were referring to as extraction, but sort of helping at that, that sort of difficult stage of saying like, what are the nuances? How do I put these things together? Those sorts of things. So I'm curious what your current thinking on that is and what you are seeing or doing in that space. Yeah, so I think what we spoke about earlier of why document automation hasn't become widespread is actually the hard yards at the beginning. So it's not, I don't think it's going to replace document automation in terms of it's going to be drafting documents for the reason we've spoken about, about consistency. But working out the questions to be asked and the logic to be applied to automate the document in the first place, I think it's very possible to apply Gen AI to say, what are the questions to fill in the square brackets? You know, so you do need to have a good base precedent in the first place or several. And then you can you can do it to kind of get the subject matter experts a good starter for, it's not even starter for 10, it's a starter for 80, it's started for 90. I think there's going to be some interesting things coming along if we could persuade people to open source a bit more of their dictionaries. And what I mean by dictionaries is um, every time I automate a banking loan agreement and I've done it for 20 different firms they all have slightly different precedents but the questions to be asked the instructions that the bank are giving them the details of the loan are all the same so with like what Sali have done with the kind of naming conventions the wording conventions around like clauses and contracts if we could get more into the granular level of the questions to be asked in the data and start to share that what we could then do with with gen ai to say you know, create the logic to be applied or create the questionnaire 
is really exciting. Another bottleneck is then testing. So once you've automated a document, because of the so many nuances and there's so many possible paths that can be taken, I think creating test data to test complex questionnaires is another good use case as well. Yeah, those are those are brilliant. I mean, I, I just got my mind going just thinking about that. It was like, and that's this sort of way I like about Gen AI is you start to think like, well, what are these complex things that would do? And then you're like, oh wait, what if it just drafts the questions? I mean, like that would be like so mm-hmm. awesome because that you know takes takes more work. And you just say, I just look at what it generates, and then then I then I edit it a little bit. Exactly. We need to take another quick break for a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to be right back with Catherine Bamford from BAM Legal. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. And we are joined by our special guest, Catherine Bamford. We've got time for just a few more questions, and one of them is what we like to call our best advice question. So we like to ask our guests, what's the best advice either that you've ever gotten from someone uh, from a mentor or others, or something that you've ever given, or maybe both, if you want to share them? I think it's both. I've, I had a mentor of mine say to me once, don't be scared when you meet that resistance. That's a natural uh, reaction to any kind of change. And often when I was more junior and trying to do stuff, I was like, oh, you know, that person really questioned me and really drilled me hard and hates the idea and thinks I'm going to like replace his entire department with robots. And, you know, they really dislike me. And he was like, if you're not causing ripples and you're not meeting that resistance, you're not suggesting anything radical or anything new. So don't be scared of that pushback. And I think just bringing that on as kind of advice for people kind of starting to, to try and implement legal technology. It is just knowing that if you look at, you know, we have like the grief cycle, well, there is like the kind of change cycle as well. And it's if you if you focus on that and you just realize it's a natural reaction and quite often those naysayers will end up saying that it was their idea in the first place and they were always <laughs> on board. So um, don't be put off with the, the first wall of resistance you get. That's why change management is so important is being able to show them how the change is going to improve. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah, that's uh, that's so interesting. I mean, I had this conversation with the professor yesterday, and it started out with this despair over what AI was going to take over and what we might be teaching our students. And it ended up with saying like, "Oh, hey, there's like tons of cool possibilities that that he was he was seeing that were actually his own ideas." Mm-hmm. You know, like once once you kind of jumped over like the despair cycle. So I have two two questions that are related. And so since I'm like in the academic world these days, how would you encourage today's law students and the new lawyers to find career paths in legal tech or non-traditional careers in law like you ultimately found? And then, then less of all, who are the fresh voices in legal tech that you would like to single out and maybe see as part of our Fresh Voices series? For today's Law students, I think, especially while you're you're still at law school, get involved with your your university's legal tech society. And if one doesn't exist, set it up, because by setting one up, as I said, this community is so open to sharing and helping and collaborating that you can actually probably reach out to some of the the experts in potential areas and say, will you be a guest to speak to our students? And most of them will say yes. So you get to meet all these people. You can then connect with them on LinkedIn and already be creating your, you know, legal tech 
ecosystem for when you want to go into your career to then apply to some of their companies for internships um, and just learn from them as you go. I think social media, you know, I work for global clients now and that's all because of the web and you know things like LinkedIn and being invited onto a podcast like like yours today you know it's prior to to having um those outlets I would have been a very small market probably in London maybe a bit in Manchester here in England so I think definitely use social media there's other good newsletters out there that you can follow um so coming on to the second point the fresh voices in legal tech I'm very lucky to work very closely with a guy called Peter Duffy. He puts out Legal Tech Trends newsletter and he scans. He's actually built um, something that scrapes the Internet for legal tech uh, stories out there and distills them and tags them. And then he's taking the best of those and gives like a nice six minute read weekly or fortnightly Um he talks to a lot of people in the industry and, and, and I find that newsletter really accessible. And if I kind of feel like if I read that on a Monday morning and then have a load of conversations with people that week, they think I'm really smart, but they think I'm really smart just because I read that newsletter. Um, he comes from an interesting background in that he didn't come from law originally. So he worked in digital transformation um, previously so building kind of digital applications for other industries that were transforming so for example like sports gambling when it went from you went into a what we call a bookies here in London I don't know if you call it bookies but a gambling betting shop to you know online apps uh, banking apps pharmaceuticals uh, lots of different industries and building apps for those so applying those proper product development methodologies and thoughts and applying those to legal technology and the other voice that I really think is so refreshing at the moment um, with all of the hype around is Yuwaz Iqbal and he he's an AI practitioner he's he's got an amazing track record in the legal space for me about the last kind of five to six years and he recently launched a company called Plexico and that's all around AI education so it's helping you know it's kind of going into law firms and speaking to a bunch of partners but the way he manages to break down what is a complicated subject and hard to get your head around and the analogies he uses stories and analogies to explain different different types of ai and one i listened to the other day that was wonderful was about kind of daydreaming and uh, how we can only daydream because we have memories so we can daydream about a centaur because we know what a man looks like and a horse looks like and you know that was the way he was he was explaining gen ai and one of the analogies so um yeah U.S. Iqbal, I think, is is another fresh voice that's really helping the entire industry by cutting the hype and explaining things in a very clear way. Those are awesome suggestions. We want to thank Catherine Bamford for being a guest on our show. Catherine, thank you so much. And tell us where can people either learn more about you or get in touch with you if they want to. I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest place. I have a website, like everyone needs to have a website, but um, LinkedIn and also for the students, actually Instagram at BAM Legal as well. I do some like little sound bites and, and legal tech live talks on uh, on Instagram. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. You're fantastic guest as I knew you would be. Great information and advice for our, our listeners. Now it's time for our parting chats, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Catherine, take it away. The tip is for the the legal practitioners is to focus on your playbooks and start getting stuff out of your head and documented because you're only going to be able to do cool stuff with gen ai and other legal tech if you actually have your knowledge management content ready 
So important. I'm going to continue on my Google tips where I am hoping and praying that Google is actually going to get better again, never mind what it's doing from a privacy standpoint, but from from a search standpoint, um, they're introducing a couple of new features that are very interesting. One of the ones that they are doing in their Google search labs now is just simply called notes, as if there were not notes called everywhere else. So I'm not sure how you can distinguish this, but what a note is in Google search labs is it allows people, um, I don't know if it's going to allow everybody. It sounds like it's like experts and certain people to add notes to search results. So if you ask a question of, you know, what's the best sleeping bag for camping? Um, You can get to a page and it says, here are the best sleeping bags. And there will be like maybe 10 notes from other users that you can view either a tip or I found this article not helpful. Here's another place to go. Or here's the best, you know, I, I, I tried all of these sleeping bags and here was the best one for me. It's going to be a way to for people to add additional information. It's interesting to me. It could be either a great idea or a terrible disaster waiting to happen. But I am intrigued that Google is uh, is making new steps to try to make its search uh, relevant and fresh again. And let's see if this works out. Dennis. Who that has some potential to go uh, the wrong it, way. Oh, it? the whole wrong way. Yes. <laughs> So I I have this really simple thing. So I was uh, doing some stuff where I had a whole bunch of ideas and I I created it. I put them into Word and I used the table of contents, you know, just created simple table of contents using headings. And uh, and what I used it for was to help sequence and clean up the documents and, and the list. And I just found it to be like a really helpful thing. And I could see, uh, you know, what belonged together. I could understand the sequence of things and I could, I could change things and move things around. And then also by doing the table of contents, it shrank the size of what I was doing to something that was very usable to, to put into a prompt box in ChatGPT. And then I could actually use ChatGPT to also help me sequence and, and clean up the list. And so this is an experiment, uh, but I throw it out there as a tip of, you know, using some, some standard tools in a little bit different way that that might turn out to be helpful to you. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. You can find all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts on the Legal Talk Network site. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, you can also do that on the Legal Talk Network site within iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, we are we always love to get your questions for our B segment. You can leave us a voicemail with your questions, comments, or otherwise at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. As always, a big thank you to the Legal Talk Network team for producing and distributing this podcast. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.